Hello, everybody. Welcome to Practical Training Night. Guys excited for what we got going on? Yeah? Very cool. Good to see you guys all here. Uh, we are in week three of Chico Project. How's it going so far, guys? Woo, yeah. Very good. And uh, you also, you've met with your small groups probably twice by now. How are those going? Oh, okay. Okay. We're losing steam already. I got I to gotta get into this now. So, yeah, thanks so much, guys, for being here tonight. I uh, hope you just, beyond the uh, mandatoriness of it, I just hope you uh, are generally planning on being encouraged by coming to practical training night on Tuesdays and the Wednesday night um, uh, character training night. And tomorrow, actually, we have somebody different. So we've been hearing from Gary. You've been hearing from Joni uh, the past couple Wednesdays. And so tomorrow we're going to be hearing from somebody a little bit different in the same kind of Chico community zone. And so I'm looking forward to that, um, and you should be too. So that's what we have to look forward to tomorrow. Tonight, as you know, we are covering how to study the Bible, which is a big topic. I've got some time to cover it, but there's a lot of ways, there's a lot of ways to do that, and uh, just different principles here to cover, but uh, yeah, I just hope that you guys just kind of hang on for the ride as we go through this through tonight, and yeah, I just hope that you're just encouraged by it, and so just to kind of get us moving here, the Bible, so first of all, did anybody bring like a, like a real deal I'm not a, there are no elites in this room, but, but cool. Good job if you did that. It's fine. I'm not trying to, you know, separate the sheep from the goats here or anything, or, you know, any of that. But it's just like, yeah, it's just kind of nice to do that. But if you have it on your phone, if you have it on your phone, hold up your phone. Go, woo, yeah. Yeah, there you go. So you got some of those too. That's fine. Not a problem. But it's going to be a couple times tonight where that'll be useful. And so uh, I just hope that you uh, have something like that to do that. And so the Bible itself, what's, what is the Bible, right? It's God's word to us. And that, that alone is just like a pretty special, significant, just important truth, right? If the, the Bible is God's word to us, there's a lot of things I could say about the Bible just in general, that I'm not going to just because, it, you know, there's a lot of other people to tell you that as well. But um, it's a good thing to just bear in mind. It's God's word to us, which means it's inerrant, it's infallible, it is true, it is trustworthy. And so I hope that you also feel that way about it or know that about it. And so um, either way, if that's true, if it's true that the Bible is God's word to us, and I think it is, then it has massive implications, massive gravity in our lives. And the frequency and the manner of studying it in our lives has a lot of gravity to us as well. And so you might be in all sorts of different kind of places on the spectrum of understanding or familiarity with Bible study. And so hopefully we can kind of all get on the same page tonight 
and it'll really fuel in you a desire to continue to learn, to grow in this area of Bible study, and uh, yeah, just all of that. So we'll get into a lot of things tonight about what Bible study is and why it's valuable and how, once again, to do that. Uh, just like kind of last week, you know, talking about the what, the why, the how. These are some really helpful concepts to, to grasp. So let me pray for us now, and we'll just kind of get into this. So pray with me. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for working in our lives. I know that you have used your word in our lives to bring us to you, to sanctify us, to encourage us, and to strengthen us. And you're going to use your word much more in our lives. I pray that we would just be gripped a little more tonight by the significance of what it could mean to have your words, the words you, the, the, the creator God, have given to us. I pray that we would not take that for granted. And I pray that we would just gain a better understanding tonight of how we can approach it humbly in a way that honors you and in a way that does just bring us so much joy and benefit uh, for the rest of our lives. So work through your word uh, just in this training time. Work through whatever it is I communicate, God, to uh, just enable us to learn a lot, to grow, and to be encouraged, and to be challenged as well in all these things. Uh, In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so I'm going to start from like ground zero. So hold up your non-dominant hand, (laughs) okay, and then grab, make sure you have a pen, and take that non-dominant hand and place it on that blank sheet of paper in front of you, and trace it (laughs) with the pen, I guess in your other hand, unless you want to go for it with your mouth or whatever, so here's my attempts, I got it somewhere here, there it is, there's mine, kind of got caught on a little ring that's there, but otherwise... There's no warts, yeah, on it or anything. So that's, maybe it'll look like that. Trace on your, on your piece of paper. I want to see. There it is. Resist the urge to draw a little turkey <laughs> or what, what have you. But uh, yeah, go ahead and fill that out or draw that out, trace that out. Mm-hmm. You guys are, some of you guys are really taking your time here. It's not that big of a deal. Chase <laughs> uh, your hand on that blank sheet. Okay, we're going to, I got to keep moving here. So now uh, we're going to, you might need to turn your page a little bit to make this a little easier to do. But basically, we're going to fill in these fingers with five different words. You may be familiar with this illustration already. Let's go ahead and, yeah, we got another slide here. So from pinky to thumb, we got hear, read, study, memorize, and meditate. Uh, you can just put that on your little little fingers there. On the, you, I suppose you could write them on your actual fingers, but uh, go ahead and just put it on that page there, kind of like in this illustration. So if you're unfamiliar, this is called the hand illustration. It's just a very 
very uh, simplified, <laughs> perhaps dumbed down way of understanding the five methods that we can use to digest the Bible and experience the Bible. And most of them, I think, are pretty clear, pretty obvious, hearing, reading, uh, memorizing, meditate, kind of kind of throw some people off a little bit. Tonight, as you figured out, it's about study, Bible study. Okay, so that's where we're starting. And some other things, the other ones have something to do with this somewhat, but one thing I want to point out, and this is on your next page, I believe. So it's double-sided. Study equals, it's just a simple little formula here. It's reading plus writing. That's it. <laughs> study is reading plus writing. There's this book that I have up here with me that I exhausted a lot of, or just used a lot of information from it. It really helped me in constructing this training. It's called Rick Warren's Bible Study Methods. It is by Rick Warren. And he is a pastor. He founded Saddleback Church. It's a that's a significant church. <laughs> it's basically, he wrote a very popular book called uh, what's what's the what's the book, guys? Anybody know the Purpose Driven Life? Yeah. So he wrote the Purpose Driven Life. He likes the Bible. Works for me. So he has this book that he's made, and it has it outlines these different methods of studying the Bible. And yeah, there's more than one, so that's great. And one of the things he says in this, I'm, I'm getting somewhere with this. One of the things he says is written down there. You cannot study the Bible without writing something down. That's the difference between Bible reading and Bible study. So I'm just trying to like clarify any and all confusion here. Studying the Bible is reading plus writing. You read the Bible and you write down, you jot down some form of notes about it. That's, so that's our working definition, okay? Just if, if there was any confusion. And, and Rick Warren says that's the case. So one thing I also want to kind of clarify kind of with this is what's the difference between an in-depth Bible study and a quiet time? And so I think you guys are all familiar with what a quiet time is because, because you've read the big five and it was a part of that. It was somewhere in the Big Five, which was a, that article thingy you read for that first week of Chico Project. And it's talking about how one of our big five spiritual disciplines is having a quiet time. There's a lot of different words for it. But this is basically a time of reading the word, of praying. And there's kind of different methods for that as well. And so I, I do want to kind of help to help us to navigate, okay, a Bible study or a quiet time, what's the difference here? Or are they different? And so let me, let me help. <laughs> so our goal in a quiet time is to enjoy the presence of God. Uh, Psalm, I don't have, this isn't written down, whatever. Uh, Psalm, 1, Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures evermore. And he's talking to God. And the writer of this psalm, Psalm 1611, he says that, be known to me the path of life, in your presence there is fullness of joy. And so 
our goal in having a quiet time, perhaps or hopefully every day, is to spend time in the presence of God and to enjoy that, to partake in the joy of being in God's presence and just being enriched by that through his word. And, and so that's a big part of this is that we get closer to God by reading his word and by praying and by doing what his word says. And we also want to, want to experience fellowship with God. There's kind of some different terms I want to just get across here. Enjoying the presence of God, experiencing fellowship with God. These are the type of things that we're after in a quiet time, right? And then with that, we're hopefully establishing this long-term just connection, this rich relationship with God over time throughout our life as we continue to seek him regularly, perhaps every day. And I, I say all this to say that, that that can include study. It is not necessarily a Bible study, but it can be a Bible study because when you do, say, the SOAP method, which is what a lot of people use and it's what we recommend and challenge, and it's in that Big Five article, so you should know what I'm talking about. And that SOAP method is scripture, observation, application, and prayer. And when I do a SOAP, I write out my observation and my application and my prayer, actually, too. And so it's, it's, a, it's a study. It's a Bible study because I'm writing things down, right? And so I say all that to differentiate that from perhaps what I would call an in-depth Bible study, an in-depth Bible study where you're carving out a certain amount of time in your just any particular day. And perhaps this is not sustainable to do in some sort of daily basis, but you can spend an hour or so just in the word, soaking up certain things. You're after something specific. You're vigorously digging into the truths of the word. You're familiarizing with the word, and that does uh, pay dividends later in your future, in your life. And so these are some things that are part of an in-depth Bible study. But I'm saying all these things to help you understand today's principles that I'm going to be talking about, they're going to generally apply to both the quiet time type Bible study, maybe five minutes, 15 minutes, maybe up to half an hour or whatever. Uh, And it also can apply to the in-depth Bible study. Okay, so you can think about both of those things as I'm talking about Bible study. Anyways, why people don't study the word. I want to get cover this. This is in this book. And so I just kind of ripped it right from there and you can have it. And so the first reason why people don't study the word, and you should be thinking about yourself a little bit as you're doing this. If there's any kind of block or hindrance to you, then you should be thinking about which one it is. So first, they don't know how. They don't know how. So that's simple to me. And so, you know, when a kid is, learns how to swim, some kids, I don't know what parent does this, but I've heard of it. Some parents will just throw them into the water and they just flail around. Does, does this happen to people? Uh, wow, okay. Uh, yeah. And eventually, probably, hopefully, they just kind of figured out how to float and not sink, <laughs> right? That's the goal. And then some kids are 
uh, had told to learn, forced to learn how to swim, kind of in some sort of class. And so they're, they're taught. And so no matter what, it starts by, by getting in the water. And so knowing how to do a Bible study, you can either kind of just like plunge in and just figure out how to, how to make this work, or you can be taught how by the, me, I guess, or Rick Warren, or whomever. And so these are just, there's a, a question of knowledge here, and uh, we want to explore that. And so people experience, I don't know if you experience this, maybe you go to a church service, and you're like, wow, I love what the pastor is sharing from the word right now. I love what he is getting out of this. And then perhaps when you go home, you, you try for yourself and you, you open up the word and maybe you find a certain passage or you just kind of stick your finger in the middle somewhere. And you don't, you don't get the same thing, the same richness uh, or the same joy perhaps that you get when you are, are taught the word of God. And so it's really valuable. It's really important for us, once again, in that quiet time and in that in-depth Bible study to be able to soak up the word for ourselves and enjoy it for ourselves instead of have to just be fed it in a more of a, more of a top-down setting like this. And so the second reason people don't study the Bible is that they're not motivated. They're not motivated. Now, the question of motives it can be a, a sneaky, a tricky thing because sometimes we should just do things whether we feel motivated to, to do them or not. And, uh, and Rick Warren says, he explains this, this uh, point he makes. He says that they're not motivated because they've not experienced the joy that comes from personally discovering truths from the word of God. And so that's what happens. So if you're not there yet, if you haven't experienced these truth, this joy of discovering these truths, then you might not be very motivated to approach God's word. And so it kind of means that you need to build up some experience in that in order to feel that kind of inward tug, that inward motivation. So until that happens, though, you kind of got to chug, got to chug through the lack of motivation. And so the third reason is that they are lazy. That's it. That's, that's the reason. You guys ever, you guys ever lazy? Nah, nah. We're, we work hard. We're in Chico Project. So Rick Warren says, most great truths of the word of God do not lie on the surface. We have to dig for them. And, uh, you know, as we learned from the movie Holes, digging, you know, it's hard work, man. Uh, and so digging just takes some time. It takes kind of, it's kind of a challenge. And so we kind of got to work through that. And so maybe think to yourself, we've got these three reasons why people don't study the word. If you're in a space where, man, either in your quiet times or even you're just not studying it for just to, to feast on God's word in other times, what's the reason? You know, why aren't you studying, doing that? Perhaps it's because you don't know how. Perhaps you're not motivated. Perhaps you're lazy. Yeah, I said it. <laughs> so why is Bible study valuable? Okay. I've got some quotes here, one from David Platt. Bible study is the means by which we not only get to know God, but we become useful in God's hands. These are two powerful reasons to do something, right? We get to know God, and we become useful in God's hands. D.L. Moody wrote, The Bible was not given 
to increase our knowledge, but to change our lives. There's an interesting kind of use of the word know, the word knowledge between these two quotes, where when we, the word know really is just kind of interesting because you can know about somebody, I guess, you know, like probably for, the, for almost two years now, I've known about Eric, <laughs> there he is, and, uh, but I didn't really know him that well, honestly, for like that first year, and I just kind of knew maybe some facts about him being uh, in some form of music, you know, uh, part of the uh, some music program at Chico State, little things about him. And he wears glasses, I don't know. You know, you, got, you know all these things about a person. And then over the past year, I've gotten to know, know Eric in a more personal way, in a way that, like, I see him in different situations that we're in together and been able to bond with him in that way. And so this is a thing that happens in every single relationship that you have with a person. It's not just Eric. Sorry, Eric. Uh, no, with any good relationship that you have with a person, you, you start perhaps by knowing about them. You, you list some facts or whatever, and then you get to know them. And so you can think about this in terms of these two quotes I've mentioned. Increasing our knowledge of God, about God, it's good, and it can be helpful, but we want to know, we want to get to know God, like David Platt's talking about, and we want to become useful in God's hands, and we want our lives to be changed as well. And so, I got one more quote here, and this is more about the, the study part of this. Dawson Trotman, he founded the Navigators, an influential Christian group, thoughts disentangle themselves. You like that word? Disentangle themselves when they pass through the lips and the fingertips. It rhymes too. Fun word and it rhymes. So what he's talking about is how when we study the word and we write these things down, then that's helping us to get all this information that we're kind of processing up here. We're putting it on the paper down here. And that's kind of help, it's helping us to kind of clarify these truths that we get from God's word. This also helps when we, when we talk about these things. And that's why we go to small groups or participate in, you know, different challenge things. We get to kind of talk about these truths with each other. And it passes through the lips. Uh, and then we write things down, passes through the fingertips. So that's kind of a fun rhyming uh, thing to be aware of <laughs> by Dawson Trotman. So 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. This is a foundational passage about the word of God. I memorized 2 Timothy 3.16 in my uh, summer project that I went to uh, in 2013. I do not know. Is that eight years ago? And uh, it was a really influential project, and this is a really influential verse that talks about the word of God and its value. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. There are so many words in this passage that are worth kind of highlighting. I'm, I'm not going to highlight all of them, but the first one right there, all scripture, all, that means all. And there are some books in this book. There's 66 books in this book, in case anyone didn't know. There are some books that are pretty easy for me to read. 
And I can read that and go, wow, I can apply that to my life. That's a good thing to know. And there's some of these books, there's some pages of this book where I'm like, man, I really, man, I don't know what's going on at all. <laughs> and you, perhaps you felt that way. This is an old book, and it is not a terribly accessible book in parts. And so we all have to grapple with that and figure out what are we going to do with that. But 2 Timothy, which is maybe a little more on the more approachable side, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God. It is inspired by God. And so, and not only is it inspired by God, it is profitable for these four things, teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness. It's profitable for these things. And another thing I want to highlight here is that that second verse of this, that the man of God may, or woman of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so that's what David Platt was talking about. We become useful in God's hands when we soak up God's word, when we study God's word, then he equips us through that. And we become useful to him as agents of his in this world to make a difference, to make an impact, to influence people's lives, right? And so I have some verses listed here below. Benefits of reading God's word and, and then by extension studying God's word, I'd say. And this is from, I just pulled... These are all verses in the Bible. This is where you're going to get out the Bibles, by the way, so you can start to do that. But basically, don't tune out just yet. What's going to happen is I want you to read these kind of one at a time and figure out what are the benefits, what's the value of reading, studying, um, experiencing God's word according to these different verses. What I encourage you to do is maybe at your table kind of divvy these out so that Maybe some of you are reading like a couple of these, but basically have it so that you can, a person can read one. You can talk about it together. Read it aloud to your table. Talk about it together. Figure out what the benefit is. Write it down in that space. Move on to the next one. I think you, you, you get what's going on here. And then at the end, if you can think of any more verses that would apply to this, then you should write those down as well. So go ahead and do this at your tables. Discuss and read these verses aloud to each other, and we'll have five minutes to do that. So, as we kind of come back in here, what are some things that stood out, some brief ideas of the benefits based on what you read? Shout them out. Just shout them out. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good stuff, good stuff, good stuff, good stuff. We'll move on. So yeah, and then if you did not finish, well, then you can just go back and do it later. It's cool. And if you don't, then I'm, I'm not checking. <laughs> but uh, that'd be a cool thing to do. So I hope that that exercise kind of helps us to, like, there's plenty I could tell you about what's valuable about God's Word as a whole, and therefore what's valuable about reading it, what's valuable about studying it then. But I also want you to kind of discover this for yourself, both by, you can take other people's word for it, you can take my word for it, or and then you can also read the word to see, okay, what does it say about itself? And there are some examples that I've, that's what I've given you. And also, you can find this out for yourself by getting into it yourself 
And over time, as you really familiarize with this, and hopefully what we learned tonight kind of helps as well, then you can also see this value play out in your life, okay? So before we talk about how to study the Bible, just like last week, we need to talk about how not to do the thing that we want to do, right? And so how not to study the Bible, do not do these things, okay? (laughs) That's the goal. So I'll walk through some of these. One, don't study the Bible by treating it like a textbook, by treating it like a textbook, You see, study, you guys study other things too, don't you? Besides the Bible, you study for a school because you're college students. So uh, there's other books that you might study, and there's a certain way that you approach them. And uh, yeah, I want to encourage you to not approach the Bible like that. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living an active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, in discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Do you know any books, any other books that do that? If, if you do, if you think you do, <laughs> well then, maybe you should read more of the Bible, and you know, it'll, it'll top that. But, uh, <laughs> and so... No, yes, this is what the Bible is capable of. It grips us, it's alive, it's living and active, it penetrates those areas of our life that need it. And the Holy Spirit works through the word to convict us and to encourage us and to challenge us and do all kinds of different things. And when we treat it like a textbook, well, it just doesn't do it justice, does it? And we end up not getting what we could out of it if we don't treat it with the reverence, with the honor that it deserves as God's written word. Uh, There's this article I found as I was researching for this. It says, a quote from it says, we do not glorify God in our Bible reading when we plug through our Bible reading plan, but our study never stops us in our tracks to worship God. And that is one of the things we're after. We want to worship God in our act of reading, of studying God's word. We want to worship him. We want to enjoy him. We want to experience fellowship with him in the midst of all these things. And we we can't really do that if we treat it like a textbook, like any other book. It is not any other book. And if you're not fully convinced of that, that's okay. But you should pursue it knowing or trusting, rather, that, you know, it uh, it is what it says it is. Yeah? So two... How not to study the Bible by speeding through its contents. By speeding through its contents. Number two. And so um, what we don't want to do here is just rush through. And perhaps you've experienced this when you're kind of required or asked to do a quiet time. Maybe you just kind of zip through it. And this maybe this applies too to the school thing as well. Where you have a, a reading assignment and you just... You just zoom through that. You just do that as fast as possible. You're not really paying attention. You're not able to really soak it up and experience what the author's trying to say. You're just rushing through it. You're hurrying through it. And I encourage you, do not read the Bible that way because you're not going to get as much out of it. Whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way, Proverbs 19.2 says. And so 
we need to make sure that we're not speeding through, that we're, we're soaking it in, we are methodically embracing the truth of the word, and not trying to just get through it as a thing, as a task to check off. And so, third, by seeking hidden meaning, by seeking hidden meaning. So, the Bible's been around for quite a while. It is an old book. It's roughly, not exactly, but it's roughly 2,000 years old. And some parts were written earlier than that. And if I come to you and tell you that I've cracked a code, and there's something that I found in here that nobody else has found before. This is totally new knowledge. This is totally new things. If I tell you that, a red flag should pop right up in your head that says, ah, this, something's not right here. <laughs> and if you feel somehow about like that in regards to the Bible, when you read it, wow, I don't think anybody's ever thought of this before. Well, I don't know. I would put up the red flag, man. Uh, you got to be careful about the, the hidden meaning. We're going to talk more about meaning later as an important, important, important thing that we do not want to misconstrue later. But basically, trying to crack the code of the Bible is not what it's for. Rick Warren says, when you begin studying the word of God, don't go into it with the attitude of finding some truth that no one else has ever seen. Don't study it to find something with which to impress others. Just go to the word to find out what it has to say to you. The real problem for most of us is not with interpreting difficult passages, but with obeying the passages we do understand. And so it can try, you know, be compelling. Ooh, this is a cool ancient book to find some sort of secret, secret recipe or whatever. And it's, like I said, it's been around a long time. And you and I perhaps are not the person to try and uncover these hidden truths. I don't think they're there. And, uh, but we got to obey. And yeah, if you, if you pursue this rabbit hole too long, if you try and get into the hidden truth, then you're probably just going to end up forming a cult. And I'm not, I don't want you to do that. So please don't. All right, that's, that's the third one. Number four, by following your heart. By following your heart. That's the, the fourth and final way that I have for you to not study the Bible. And so a, a thing that, a, a problem that trips up a lot of people is this idea, what does the passage mean to me? What does this passage mean to me? People kind of th- Maybe think about this as they read the word. Maybe they ask that question at a small group. What does this passage mean to you? Uh, you got to watch out for that, man. I don't think we want to be messing with that. And what I mean by that is that, that key word, meaning, what does this passage mean to me? It has a particular meaning that was addressed in a particular context by a particular author who was inspired by God. And we don't want to reassign meaning to that. That from our, ourselves, basically. I'm going to talk more about this later. Trust me. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So our hearts, when we follow our heart, we're trying to just be led by an emotional kind of up and down of what we could be feeling from the text. Then we need to be careful. Now, we do want to be led by the Spirit. God's Spirit is... A necessary part, really, 
For those of us who are believers in Christ, we have the Spirit of God has been put into our hearts. And we need his help. We need the Spirit's help to truly observe and understand and process the truths of Scripture in a right way. Because, just believe it or not, your heart is desperately wicked above all things, is deceitful above all things, and we need help. And so uh, that's, that's really, that's going to kick off this next part pretty well, how to study the Bible. So as I was preparing for this, I just went to as many sources as I could, including this book that I mentioned already, and tried to figure out, okay, what are kind of the main methods, main ways that people recommend to study the Bible? I just tried to like get a general sense. And I basically tried to compile for you here what pretty much, see, that's the thing. Even all these methods that are in here probably have some version of this kind of outline that I'm about to share with you. And so this is just some really helpful things to bear in mind, some steps to cover as we study God's word. And so the first one, and this is kind of before we even start, really. This is, this is the preparation phase. And so we actually, that's what you can call it. Number one is preparation. So this is before even opening your Bible. But it's a pretty crucial part, and we'll get into this. Preparation. We want, what we want here is, like I said, we want the Spirit to be involved in our process of studying God's Word. And we invite him into that through prayer. And we also use prayer as a way of us just connecting to God and kind of establishing that, that line, that connection, in order to, to look at God's word, to study God's word rightly. And so I found this really helpful. I hadn't really seen this before, but this thing that John Piper recommended, he said it's called I-O-U-S. IOUs or something. I don't know. IOUs. And so there's these four things, four words that are based on certain scriptures. And these phrases are basically kind of ripped straight from these different Psalms. So the first one is incline. Oh, yeah, we're already there. Incline my heart to your testimonies. Open my eyes to see wonders in your word. Unite my heart to fear your name. Satisfy me with your steadfast love. Like I said, all these phrases are basically within these, these psalms that are kind of a part of this as well. It's written on your sheet as well, the psalms. And so let me just walk through them super fast. Incline my heart to your testimonies. Uh, another translation says, turn my heart. Maybe that word incline kind of puzzles me. I like it, but it, it puzzles me. And so turn my heart to your testimonies. We tend to turn our hearts every which way, and they go in different directions. And uh, what we want to do is we want God to help us. We need him to, tur- him to turn our hearts toward him, to orient our heart toward him as we approach studying the Bible. And so not only in terms of our orientation, but also our receptiveness. We want to be receptive, want to be inclined toward uh, his word. Next, it says, open my eyes to see the wonders in your word. And so we are naturally blinded. We're naturally kind of covered by a haze, a fog of our own just sin and our culture and just the different problems of our life to sort of get in the way of our clarity in just dealing with God and reading scripture. And so a really valuable thing to do or to say perhaps, to ask God, God, open my eyes to see wonders in your word. 
And sometimes even before I go into a quiet time, I'll just, I'll like ask, like, could you like highlight for me sort of in my mind, in my mind's eye to just like understand, okay, this is the word or words that, that God wants me to, to grasp today from his word. And so next is unite my heart to fear your name. This is kind of similar to that first one, but our hearts, they, they kind of go in these different directions and they even kind of split off, they divide. Our hearts are kind of separate into all these different things and our priorities become mixed up. But, God, but we want God to unite our heart to be whole and to wholeheartedly then pursue the knowledge of him uh, by, by reading his word. Unite my heart to fear your name and then satisfy me with your steadfast love. That's the last one here, and that's the, the goal there is for God to just, just fill us with his joy, with a richness that comes from his word. Even if you're not much of a reader, uh, we want, we all want God to satisfy us in this way, and the, some of us have more or less understood or experienced that before, but I really hope that you would pray this. We need to pray this in order for, for God to like really make this a reality in our life. Maybe you need to pray it a couple times, you know, as you go into different quiet times or different Bible study sessions or times. We want God to satisfy us with his steadfast love. Psalm 9014, that's, that's what it's from. It's a great uh, verse to memorize just to kind of reflect on and ask God. It's just such a, just such a, I don't know, a bare, just kind of raw plea. So those are some, that was a really helpful resource when I saw that. And something that I just kind of, this is just from my own experience, just as I, especially in, in quiet times, uh, one, one thing I do is I'll ask God to help me to know him uh, intellectually and experientially. And intellectually, I said earlier, it's like that can be, that's not all, that's not the whole picture. It's not, we don't want to stop there. But it is helpful to just learn about God. We do learn about God. We learn so much about God through his word. And so we can get to know him intellectually, and that's a really good thing too. But we also want to know him experientially, experientially. And so that's another thing that I ask God for when I get into his word. I want to experience you through your word uh, today. And another thing that has really helped me, I remember Gary mentioning this at some men's time a long time ago at a, at a fall retreat. And he was talking about quiet times, and he was talking about how when he goes into a quiet time, time, he says something to the degree of, teach me one big truth from your word today. Teach me one big truth from your word today, God. And I like it. I like that a lot because we're not, trying to just get spread in all these different directions and like have all these different applications or different truths that we're trying to, man, I got so many different things from the word and those can be good, but we want to make sure that we have just something, (laughs) you know, if we just go for one thing, then we're bound to get it. And so it's just a simple ask, a simple plea that, uh, that Gary mentioned that I like a lot. Teach me one big truth from your word. And so another thing that I want to mention before moving on from preparation, this is all before we've even opened the Bible, but preparation, one more thing is about spirit filling. I kind of mentioned this, but we need God's spirit in us, directing us in our time of studying his word. 
And so 1 Corinthians 2.12 says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. That we might understand the things freely given us by God. And so God has given us his word, and we need his spirit to show us where to go and show us how to apply it, show us what it means. And there's other ways of figuring this out too, but it is so valuable and it's so necessary in a way for God's spirit to direct us because we need him to understand the things freely given us by God in his word. So why, why is the spirit a big deal? There's, there's three things I want to mention here. And uh, I got these from David Platt. And they all start with the same letter. So that's pretty neat. The first is that the Spirit inspired the Word. I'll just go through them all again, like last time. The Spirit inspired the Word. It illuminates the Word. And it instructs us in the Word. And so let me briefly touch on those. The Spirit inspired the Word, which means that these real people wrote down the Bible originally a long time ago. And there's a variety of different authors. And each of those authors was directed, was filled with, was guided by the Spirit to write those particular things so that the entire Bible would be a God-breathed thing, a God-inspired thing. And so if he inspired the Word, then surely he is that the Spirit of God is qualified to show us truths from his word and help us to understand his word. And so in that way, we, we really need his, him to help us. Second, the Spirit illuminates the word. And so just like opening our eyes, you know, we re- to, to see whatever it said earlier, open my eyes, see wonders in your word. Uh, the Spirit illuminates it and helps it to come alive with meaning and help us to understand, whoa, okay, I understand this now in ways that I, I wouldn't be able to on my own. And then the Spirit instructs us in the Word. It directs us, okay, like, not only do I see this thing, but I know what to do with it now. He's, he's teaching me in the midst of this as well. And that's, that's a cool thing. And so that's, those are the three things that the Spirit does in the midst of this. We need that. Make sure not to gloss over that step before studying God's Word. Once again, in a quiet time or in a major in-depth study situation. And so the next, the second thing, you're probably, maybe you could have guessed this, I'm not sure. Observation is number two, observation. First we have preparation. Next is observation. And so this is where a lot of these different kind of step-by-step things about studying God's word start. But like I said, I think it's really important for us to understand that kind of first initial pre-step of um, preparing for this. So observation, we have now read the passage. You know, so if you do the SOAP method, scripture, observation, application, prayer, and uh, that scripture is just like, okay, we pick out some scripture, we read the scripture, and what do we do next? We observe it. And so there's a key question here, which is, what do I see? What do I see? And so you, t- you break open that text, and you try to figure out, okay, what's, just, what's going on here? I got to start here. And so you can ask it questions. 
And so there's the main kind of basic questions, who, what, where, when, why, how, you know, there's kind of some basic questions, and you can kind of change those, you can alter those to uh, suit your need, whatever the passage is. Perhaps it's a narrative, or perhaps it's trying to teach somebody something, or maybe it's just, there's all different things, there's different characters maybe that are in it. You can observe so many different things in a passage of scripture, and some, some of those things, you could use some help from context, from an outside source, or from other places in the book of the Bible that you're in. And so there's all these different things. So I have an activity for you. So I want to read this passage, and we're going to take another five-minute, not a break, but a discussion time. And I just picked this passage. That's all I did, really. And I want us to just figure out at our tables what are some observations we can make about this passage. And so just to mix it up, go ahead and just, it's written on your page. Go ahead and just read it with me and, and make sure, you know, there's some gory detail here, but that's okay. So go ahead and read it with me. Then David said to the Philistine, no, out loud with me. <clears throat> then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. (laughs) And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, so all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. Okay, I just wanted to mix it up. You've read it with me. Thanks. So take another five minutes and just figure out what are just some things we, we can say about this. We're not trying to apply anything yet. We're not trying to interpret anything yet. What does it mean? No, 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 we're not there yet. What, what do I see? What's going on? What's the scene? And maybe you could even, for, for context, you could kind of look through this passage if you're not already familiar with what's going on. It's First Samuel 17 there. So take five, another five minutes and discuss this and just list some observations with each other. That's some good stuff. Yeah? Observations. Observations. So just hit me with it. What are some observations you guys made? It's graphic. Uh-huh. What else? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, so you guys figured out the story. What's the story? Yeah, exactly. They don't mention, they don't mention that Goliath guy. And so, but we kind of know maybe from context or from understanding and, or from reading the chapter, right? Um, yeah, what else? There's beef. There's beef between Israel and the Philistines. Yeah, there's two factions. And so, I mean, that made me wonder, okay, well, who are the Philistines? And we're not really supplied with a lot of information on that here, but it's something that we could explore, right? What else? Mm-hmm. 
Uh-huh, uh-huh. God is the real God, yeah. He has kind of a point he's trying to make. Standing alone? Okay, yeah, that's true. And especially we read from the context, too, it's like all these other people in Israel declined the uh, offer to fight Goliath. And so David, he's on the younger side, and he chooses to do it anyway and because he has faith in God. So one more. Defying God, yes. Defying God, that's interesting. It sort of is kind of talking about God's authority in a way. Even the Goliath in no way uh, supports or chooses to come under God's authority. He's defying him. Anyone, do, anyone who chooses not to follow God is in some way defying God, or especially by cursing God and by uh, opposing his people, especially in this Old Testament context, God's people, Israel. Lots of things. We've got to cut it off here, but that's, that's the idea here. And I like this too because all of us could probably, you know, we've got our different tables, if we went home and, like, chose to kind of write down, like, 20 different observations, each of us, there'd probably be some overlap, but there'd also probably be some things that somebody at your table would get that you wouldn't uh, get, and there's something that you would get that somebody else wouldn't get. And so there's so many things you could list here. And this isn't some, it's subjective in the sense that we can all kind of pick out little tiny details from each other, uh, separate from each other, and we might come up with some, some different things, and so that's kind of cool. And so, but we want to observe at length so that we can do the next step, and that is interpretation. Number three is interpretation. So the key question of interpretation is what does it mean? We started with the actual study with observation, what do I see? And so interpretation asks, what does it mean? So all these observations we made, and we're not going to do this as an exercise because we're running out of time, but we can understand, you can maybe even do this yourself later. It's like, okay, so from what I observed, what do these things mean uh, for us? And what? It, and also think to yourself, what did it mean to the original audience um, one thing you can do here in the midst of this is include cross-references. A cross-reference is another biblical passage or verse that is in some way associated with or corresponds with or shares a word with, or multiple words, with the passage you are studying. That's a cross-reference. And so you can use cross-references to help flesh out some areas of interpretation in your study in your study of a particular passage. So a cross-reference can really help with that. So one thing that is so important about interpretation, what does it mean? I was talking earlier about how meaning is crucial. Meaning is so important, and it defines so many things, both in the Christian world and like people who kind of venture out from the Christian world by kind of misinterpreting things. And they go and form their own kind of weird things and stuff that they have going on. And so one thing that is to blame for this in some manner, especially in our day and age, we are in this kind of postmodern situation where truth, the idea of truth is often treated as this relative 
thing that kind of ebbs and flows and or like your truth might be a different truth than my truth. And what we understand when we think about the Bible as truth, that does not change. And it is objective, not subjective. And so bringing subjectivity into interpretation, that's dangerous. Because then we're beginning to kind of map our own ideas onto what the Bible says. Uh, And so John Piper, he says this, the meaning of a sentence or a word or a letter is what the author intended for us to understand. The meaning is not what you think it means. The meaning is what the author intended for us to understand by it. If I, uh, if you sent me like a text message and, well, and you meant a certain thing by it, by that text message. I, I don't have an example. I couldn't really think of something. It was kind of hard to figure out. But basically, you text me, you mean something. If I misinterpret that, that's my, that's my fault. That's my problem. You meant something, and you wanted me to take a certain something from that, from that text, from that message. And I took it in a different direction. I misunderstood you. Maybe it was an accident. Or you can do this intentionally, uh, and that's, that's bad. You know? And so we don't want to be misunderstood. We don't want to be misinterpreted by what we say, by what we do, Right? And the same goes for the Bible, same goes for the biblical authors. It is dishonoring to anybody to map a a false or a wrong interpretation onto what they do or what they say. And so, do you like fancy words? Yeah. So, proper interpretation is exegesis. That's what we call it. And so... Exegesis, there's some blanks there, means drawing the meaning out of the text. Okay? I read a text in the Bible, drawing the meaning out of the text. And so there's a meaning somewhere in here. And it might be really difficult for me to find it, but there is one singular meaning in this particular text. And it's my job to honor the authorial intent and find it through proper exegesis. That's what that's called. Eisegesis is the next thing written down there, is reading a meaning into a text. Reading the meaning into the text. That should be there on your handout. And so I have this belief or this thing that I want upheld by what I read in the Bible. I read my own meaning into what I, into the text, into the Bible. And that's called eisegesis. That's not what we're trying to do. That is misinterpreting the word of God. And so we can have a lot of different observations. We can have a lot of different applications later. But there's one interpretation of a text. And people can kind of, you know, bicker a little bit about what, especially on those minor things, those minor passages. There's different denominations that kind of have different ways of thinking about certain minor texts but this major stuff we have to get right. And so scripture is objective, not subjective. So John 8, 31 through 32 says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
So we need to uphold, we need to establish in our hearts that this is true, and we don't want to mess with that, okay? By reading our own interpretation into it, our own meaning into it. Luke, and then I have one final thing about interpretation here. Luke 24, uh, 27 says, In beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This is Jesus, is the uh, subject of this pronoun here. Jesus interpreted to these people after his resurrection in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What that means is that all scripture in some manner points to Jesus. We can take that to the bank. Not everything is like some sort of detailed allegory about Jesus, but it all has to do with Jesus who came, he died in our place, he took all our sins and forgave us by dying on the cross and raising again. That whole concept of the gospel, this is, that's what's central to this book. And so we can understand that there is some form of interpretation that has to do with Jesus. He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So, all scripture points to Jesus. That's interpretation, and we don't want to mess that up. Four is, so this is kind of a, mm, not as big a deal, okay? (laughs) Just bear that in mind. Correlation, okay? Correlation. I encountered this word or this idea in a couple places, but not in all of them by any means, in a couple places where I talked about what Bible study is and what should go into it. It's just a thing worth noting for you. And so I'm noting it here for you. What correlating means, the question associated is, how does it relate? How does it relate? And what we're doing is bridging the gap between interpretation and application. Here's what I've interpreted. Here's what I have come to understand about what this text means. And I have to apply it over here. And there's kind of a big 2,000-year gap between me and it. And so the goal in correlation, perhaps you could write this down. This is what you could. What is the timeless truth? What is the timeless truth? That's what we're trying to achieve with correlation. And so there's things that might come up from our reading of the scriptures. And there's an interpretation here that meant something then but it doesn't mean the same thing or it doesn't like translate really across 2000 years in a 21st century context. What is the timeless truth that makes its way to our day now? And there might be multiple timeless truths that you can see in scripture. So I just wanted to touch on that one. Like I said, you can kind of uh, take or leave it, I guess. (laughs) but But the goal is we want to bridge that gap between interpretation and application. And the fifth one is application. Okay, so go ahead and you can write that one down too. Application. This is the last kind of component of this. Getting through here. Okay. The goal, the question of application is what do I do? What do I do? Okay. James 1.22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And so it is deceiving ourselves to read and do all these different things. We can observe, we can interpret and correlate. But if we don't apply, then we're just deceiving ourselves. 
And that's no good. I don't want to deceive myself. I don't want you to be deceived by anybody, including yourself. And so we shouldn't do that. Howard Hendricks, in his book, Living by the Book, says, Understanding is simply a means to a larger end, practicing biblical truth in our day-to-day life. Observation plus interpretation without application equals abortion. It's, it's toast. It doesn't, didn't achieve effect. All the effect that was intended through observation and interpretation and correlation is laid to waste, really, when we choose not to apply these truths to our lives. This is serious. John Piper says, The task of application is never done. There are millions of ways a text can be applied in millions of situations and relationships for them to be applied. Our job is not to know every application, but to grow in applying the meaning of Scripture to our lives. And we want to uncover, okay, what does God want from me in a personal way today to get out of this particular thing to apply to my life? There's some helpful tools I have here for you regarding application. So one of them is called Space Pets. You guys like space? You guys like pets? It's Space Pets. It's an acronym. It's a fun acronym. It's written down on your paper. It's not going to be up here because it's, it's too many. But basically, there's all these different things. Is there a sin? Is there a, that's kind of, that begins this. Is there a sin to confess? So when you read something like this, like in 1 Samuel 17, is there a sin to confess? Is there a promise to claim? Is there an attitude to change? Is there a command to obey? Is there an example to follow? Perhaps there's an example to follow, right? In that uh, message we uh, read about David in 1 Samuel 17. A prayer to pray, an error to avoid, a truth to believe, something to praise God for. And so these are some different things that can kind of help us to kind of trigger our mind toward, okay, well, how do we apply uh, Scripture? And then we want to make good application. We want to make smart applications. This is also written on your sheet, and it's also lifted directly from the Big Five article, which you have read. And so just do that like you perhaps have already been doing. We want them to be specific in terms of we don't want to have a vague application that says, oh, I'll do good things, something really vague. We want to be specific. I'm going to do this. And I want it to be measurable, which means I want to do this many this. And action-oriented means I'm going to do this, not just sort of I'm going to sit around. I'm not sure. Realistic, I want it to be something, I want to do something that I can do. It's not just like I'm going to solve world hunger or whatever. And we want it to be timely. And so a really helpful way to make smart applications is to make sure that it kind of has a day in mind. Maybe it's like, today I'm going to do this to this person because of what I read from the Bible today. Or in the next week I'm going to do this. All these different kind of things have to do with that. So that is, like I said earlier, those, those five things we got, what are they? Preparation, observation, interpretation, correlation, and application. I had to kind of, I was going along myself too. I was like, oh, what is it? Yeah. Those are all in some fashion in any Bible study method you might uh, encounter. And so... What I want to do, we're kind of running out of time, but that's okay. 
Here's what I want to do at our tables. I hope you like the people at your table because you're going to spend some more time with them. There's 10 steps. This is, this is a specific method that is pointed out in this book. I find it, it's very reproducible. It's very doable. This is probably not a quiet time method. This is probably, I'm going to sit down at my desk and I'm going to study this particular chapter for a certain amount of time. This could take half an hour, an hour, something like that. We might do a speedier version of it today. But basically, it's called the chapter summary method. And so I wanted to overview it right now, swiftly, and then, uh, then we'll get into it. And then I'm going to let you guys at your tables kind of go through it, basically. So, and he says it's 10 steps, but there's definitely a pre-step, and that is to read the chapter five times which you might be thinking to yourself, that is a lot of times, that's too many times. But uh, yeah, Rick, Rick, Rick disagrees. He says, you will find no better way to get acquainted with a chapter of the Bible than to read it over and over again. The more times you read a passage of scripture, the more it will come alive to you. Many Christians miss the great insights of scripture because they fail to read and reread its passages. So that's interesting. That's something that you probably don't do very often. But once again, that's something that you can do when you get into kind of a more in-depth type of Bible study like this. And so the, these 10 steps after that first step zero are all start with the letter C. It's very convenient. One, so once again, this is the chapter summary method, which means you read a chapter of the Bible or some other portion. And so the first step is caption, and that is basically a short, descriptive title. You want that to be one to five words. That's not very many words. One to, you can make it one word or up to five words. Super short. You want to be able to encapsulate this entire chapter somehow in that one to five word range. That's the first step. Super short. You can kind of argue with your table about this a little bit, but when you sit at home and do this by yourself... You, there's nobody to argue with, so you can kind of decide this. But it can be really difficult to do. But go ahead and you'll do that. Then two, step two is contents. And so that means, and I think this is written down, describe, summarize, paraphrase, outline, or make a list of the major points in a chapter. And so generally for me, I like to make a little list. And so I can kind of divide it by verses this kind of range of verses is talking about this. This range of verses is talking about this. This range of verses is basically like that. Um, I do that just kind of to give a general scope of the, the chapter. That's step two. That's contents. Step three is chief people. <laughs> He's really stretching here to fit in the, that C thing, you know, but whatever. Chief people just means important, just the who's who in this chapter. Who do you see? Why are they important? Why do they have to do with anything? Chief people in, this, in, the, in the, the word, in the, bat, in the chapter. Fourth is choice verse. Once you've come up with some chief people, you've got choice verse. This is one, not two, not three, one verse from your chapter that you decide is the kind of summarize, the best summary of the chapter, kind of the focal points of the chapter. Is the choice verse. So once again, you'll be discussing these at your tables, kind of deciding amongst yourselves, what's the, what's the main verse? What's the whole point here? 
five crucial words, crucial words. And so that, a crucial word is generally a word or words that are used the most often. I kind of like this step. I can, I can see if I can count how many times a particular repeated word is used throughout a chapter. It's kind of fun to me. I don't know why. But basically, you count those up. You can kind of figure out, okay, this word comes up a lot. It's probably a crucial word. There might be other words that seem crucial to you, but they're not repeated a lot of times. But you can still count them because they do seem to hinge. A lot seems to hinge on those particular words. Okay? Crucial words. Uh, challenges. Challenges. So this is difficulties with the passage that you might have. Uh, questions words or phrases that you don't understand. And so maybe it's just something that you're just having trouble with as you're trying to understand this this passage. And so challenges is the sixth one. Seventh is cross-references. I already talked about these, but basically you can find a cross-reference, especially if you have a a real-life in-person Bible, then you'll see them probably, perhaps, in this tiny little margin in the, near the spine. Oh, there's some stuff in there. It's gone. So I have some cross-references there. But if you just know off the top of your head, oh, you know what? There's this verse that I read the other day that I'll ha- probably have to use a search function to find it. But basically, there's this verse that has to do with this for a certain reason. Once again, perhaps because of a word it uses or some sort of association with the, with the thing you're studying. Cross-references. So, eighth is Christ seen. I already talked about this, right? And so we can see Christ, we can see Jesus in every verse, every chapter, in some manner. And so we can trace it back to him. And we don't need to like bend over backwards for this necessarily, but it's helpful to understand what does this have to do with the grand redemptive narrative of scripture, the grand redemptive narrative. And then number nine is central lessons. And Rick puts it this nicely. Ask yourself, why does God want this passage in the Bible? Perhaps this is a timeless truth, like we talked about with correlation. And then finally, 10, conclusion. And that is your application. What, do you, what can you apply to your life as a result of what you read in this chapter of the Bible? There it is. That's the chapter summary method. And it could take, like I said, there's varying times, amounts of time it could take. But we have... How much time left? We have about 20 minutes. I'll just, we'll just call it 20 minutes um, before this is over. So I have one in my, a chapter in mind for you. It's 1 John 1. I think it's written down. Just the reference is written down. So you'll need your Bible or the Bible app. There's some versions that I've written down that I'd, I'd recommend, I'd suggest to you. But if you have the physical thing, then that's fine too. It's kind of fun to get different uh, kind of perspectives, especially if you're going to read this a couple times. And so one thing you can do for the initial step for reading, you can maybe have each member of your table read it aloud to the others one time. And if you're not, you know, if you're not comfortable with that, that's fine. Don't worry about it. But that's the goal. Each person at your table reads through this is a 10-verse passage. This is not that bad, okay? So don't sweat it. This will not take too long to read through it five times. But go ahead and do that. And then just to cover the preparatory step for you, let me just pray for us now. And then 
and, and then just ask God to be a part of this time as we are studying this together in a nice kind of fellowship type way. So pray with me. Father, uh, thank you for your word. I pray that this has been insightful to us, helpful to us. I pray that you would use some of these truths and these principles and ultimately your word and your spirit combined to change our lives and not just, not only to add to our knowledge. I pray that right now that we'd be filled with your spirit, that you would inhabit us, Lord, so that we can see clearly what you have for each one of us as a result of our time. I pray that you would just help us to comprehend what we read and enlighten us, illuminate things to us so that uh, we can go through this time and learn more things about you and just know you more as a result of this time and that we can just feast upon your word in a way that um, we don't normally do. So I pray that uh, those would be true of us. Please use your word, your spirit, to teach us tonight in the next 20 minutes. So in your name we pray, amen. Well, go ahead, start with those readings, and uh, just go through those, go through the, whatever, steps. And if you're confused about any of this, then you can kind of maybe raise a hand, and I could help you at your table if there's any confusion about these different steps. So go for it. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. It's just about 10 o'clock, and so I'm going to just cut it off. But but uh, you can finish maybe at home by yourself. Who thinks uh, this is easier with a group of people with you? Raise your hand. Who thinks that this would be easier with just by yourself? <laughs> oh, wow, okay. Okay, we got, maybe we got one or two. <laughs> but I know it might be challenging, but I really encourage you. It will really stretch you maybe to try and do this by yourself and just be able to think through these things. And it's just you and God in that space. So I really encourage you to just take what you had with your group. Who here, which, which groups uh, completed uh, step four? Raise your hand. Did everybody do that? I'm just trying to. What about step five? We all complete step five? No? Okay, not quite. Step six. Who completed step six? Step seven? Did you guys all complete step seven? Okay, we're good. we lost some. Step eight? Wait, you, you jumped to seven? <laughs> okay, interesting choice. Step nine. Did anybody get to complete step nine? Yeah? Okay, okay. All right. So then, wait, did anybody complete step ten? Okay, <laughs> these, these guys skipped over just to, just to apply. That's, that's not a bad idea. And this was not a race, by the way. Don't worry about, you know, <laughs> whoever. I was talking earlier, you don't, you don't want to speed through it. You don't want to speed through it, so I'm glad you didn't. But uh, like I said, you can finish this on your own or, or maybe, you know, catch up with these folks or maybe with your small group or whatever you got. And so I hope this has been encouraging to you. I want to read, I, I'll just read this, one more chapter. Don't worry, this one's shorter, even shorter than the short one you got. And this is just one of my favorite chapters, one of my favorite passages, and it has to do with what we're talking about. Psalm 1, just chapter 1 of the book of Psalms, says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, 
nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. All these concepts that come up in this chapter hinge on that second verse. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. That law of the Lord is shorthand for God's words, for the Bible. And that is where a lot of our lives, that's what a lot of our lives hinge on, guys. As we continue our lives, that's what's going to set us up for success in this life-giving type metaphor of a tree planted by streams of water, which just has its nutrients ready. It's right there. And we del- if we delight in God's law like that, then we are prosperous. Our leaf does not wither. We don't go weary in that. And yields its fruit in its season. We can be fruitful for God in his service. And so these are some reasons why we should continue to meditate on God's law, meditate on God's word, and study it, read it by ourselves and in groups and stuff like that. So I just encourage you with these things. I hope that something or perhaps multiple things from tonight you can bring with you into your quiet times as you continue to do those, or you can bring into in-depth Bible study times that you can try out now, now that you have this one tool, the, the chapter summary method. And so I hope that's been helpful to you. I hope you continue in these things. And so I have some resources on your page that were helpful to me as I was writing this, uh, this training. And so you can, there's a little QR code to some links, basically, where uh, you can access these. I, I want to specifically highlight, there's one called Secret Church 3, How to Study the Bible. Who was here for a secret church that we hosted here, a live stream, uh, in this building uh, sometime this past, yeah. So this is thing that David Platt's church does every year where they get together and for actual hours, maybe four to six hours, we'll just, he has all this training, all this content about some sort of, uh, topic. And he, he recorded the, the, the third secret church. I don't know how many there have been, but the third one that they did, uh, he talked about how to study the Bible. And so there was, there's about four hours worth of content that's just free. It's just available to you. And I encourage you to, you can just listen to that. You can find it in a podcast form somewhere. And uh, that would be beneficial to you um, as it was for me. And then, yes, the book that I shared about with you and, um, there's some different uh, articles and stuff. So that's, that's all I got. Thank you guys so much for uh, just sticking with me. I know it was kind of a lot. Uh, and then uh, make sure we got tomorrow is our character training night. I will see you there. Uh, thanks, guys. Have a great rest of your night.